This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Yes, this morning, man. Thank you for checking out C3 today. The, the entire day is kind of built for you because it is important to us that you know that, that our purpose, our goal, what we're trying to do in the life of C3, we're not trying to build a church, we're trying to build lives. And your future is our focus. Every single person matters to us. So it's going to be an incredible morning this hour, next hour. We're going to have a great time in here for the next three hours. I'm kidding. We'll be here just a few moments. But this service, next service, I think God's going to use this in a special way. I'm stepping out of, if you're part of C3, we've been walking through the book of Genesis this morning. We're stepping out of that. And we're going to chapter, Acts chapter 8. And we're going to look at Simon the Sorcerer. Great weekend for that. So let's do that. Uh, the kids are having candy palooza, and so you're going to want to dial, speed dial Dennis tomorrow because uh, we're going to help them do really, really well. The title of the article said, Man tries to hug a wild lion. You won't believe what happens next. And when you see that, and I see that, click, like, because we want to know what happens next. What, what, what happens? Or the article. A schoolgirl gave her lunch to a homeless man. What he did next will leave you in tears. What do we do? Click. Or, or this one. Only the people with an IQ above 160 can solve these questions. Are you one of them? I don't even bother clicking. But a lot of people, a lot of people click. It's called clickbait. And a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago told me about an article he read. It, it was pure clickbait, but it was based on a true story. Apparently... In New Orleans, at an estate sale, someone bought a painting for just under $2,000. And when they bought it, they investigated, they had it studied. Turns out, it was the most expensive painting ever made. It was a lost painting of Leonardo da Vinci. When this person found that out, they paid just under two grand. They had it auctioned. It sold for $450 million. Not a bad investment. Not a bad investment. Now, the person who bought it that had $450 million obviously had more resources, had it investigated, thoroughly studied, and it came to be known, they found out it was a fake. $450 million. Bye, Felicia. And it's a fake. It's not even real. And that's just painful. You know what's more painful than that? Living your entire life thinking you're okay with God. To find out in the end, you didn't mean to be, you didn't want to be, but spiritually you were a fraud. You were a, a fake. We're going to meet a guy today who looks like he's the real deal. And he looks authentic. But he's a fraud. And so the question I want to ask you, and the question I believe you owe it to yourself to ask yourself is this, am I an authentic follower of Jesus? Am I good with God? Am I the church term we use sometimes is saved? Am I, am I saved? Am I saved from myself? Am I saved from hell? Am I saved from my sin? Do I actually know God in a personal way? Because there are a lot of people that think, I don't think you can really know. You just do the best you can, and you get to the end of your life, and you hope it all works out okay. But the Bible says, in John, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to guess. If you were to ask me, Byron, are you married? You know what you would never hear me say? I think so. 
I hope so. Some days I feel like it. Some days, I mean, you, you not, no, if you ask me, are you married? Absolutely, yes. I don't even have to wear this ring. Like, you can take this off. It does not change my status. I am married. I know that I'm married. There's not a doubt in my mind. And in the same way, the Word of God tells us that you can know that you know God for sure. And so maybe you're here today. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you're just checking out C3. Man, I, I want to encourage you to participate along with us and ask yourself the question that, that we're all going to ask, do I really know God? Because a hundred years from now, it's the only question that's going to matter. Simon the sorcerer. We meet people all the time who claim to be something they're not. It's not unusual. For example, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm an elite opera singer. I, I, I can hit notes that break glass. Like, I, I have a gift. And some of you laughed, and I don't know why you're laughing, because I identify as an opera singer. I feel like I'm an opera singer, so I'm an opera singer. And you can't argue with that because I feel like it, and it's how I identify, so that's just who I am. And you've got to go with it. No, no, no. The reality is, some of you have stood by me during worship and... and you know that I'm just not just not an opera singer. I'm not a singer at all. Like, I don't break glass. I break eardrums. I, I, I can't sing at all. But if I were to try to convince you that I'm an opera singer of the elite magnitude, you would recognize that my words don't match my life. What I say that I am is not actually what I am at all. And the same thing happens in Christianity every single day. There are many people that claim to be something they're not. So let me say, please understand, this, this, is not, this is not a gotcha message. This is a you owe it to yourself to evaluate where am I and how am I with God. You, you, you owe it to yourself to ask yourself the question and wrestle with and honestly answer the question, do you possess the faith you profess? Do you possess the faith you profess? Does your life, does your thinking, do your decisions, how you treat people, how you forgive people, how you interact with people, how you deal with difficult people, how you manage your resources, what you do with your time, does it speak to the fact and confirm the fact that you are a follower of Jesus? We know people that claim to be but their lives look nothing like it. In fact, maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christ follower, you're not a church person. You came because it's first look Sunday and your kid's gonna get a bunch of candy if you have kids. And so you thought, okay, I'll do this, I'll pop in. But in reality, part of what has sort of kept you arm's length from church and, and part of the reason you've kind of maybe even stiff-armed God a little bit is you've known people in your life that said they were followers of Jesus and you want nothing to do with that. One of the greatest hindrances I believe God has in reaching people is people that claim to know him and live nothing like it. And so it's been a struggle perhaps in your life. There are thousands and thousands of people who know about Jesus but don't really know him. How do I know? Because the term we use is Christ follower. And there are people that say, I know Jesus, but they don't follow his teachings. Do you really know Jesus if you don't follow his teachings? In fact, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter, 7, chapter 13, and he says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, that phrase, unless, of course, you fail the test, means some people don't pass the test. Just like da Vinci's painting. They may look like the real thing and be the furthest from it. The painting was studied and examined, and it, it revealed the truth about it. So dare we take what the Word of God says and study and examine our own lives? 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves. Hey, for just the next few moments, let's find out the truth about you and the truth about me. Acts chapter 8. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished, that word could be translated amazed, by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they may receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Is Simon the sorcerer the real deal? Verse 13 says Simon believed, he was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere astonished. He believed, he was baptized, and he was astonished. Those are all a part of the process of becoming a child of God. Those are all good things, but by themselves, they do not complete the process. He believed that that's the first step, and it's a great step. In fact, since last September, we have seen 230 people in this room believe on Sunday mornings, which is awesome. It's awesome. And then he was baptized. Baptism is one of the most, in fact, there is not a more critical step in our spiritual journey than baptism. It says he was baptized. We've seen since last September 130 people baptized in this room. We celebrate that. It is a part of the process. It says he was astonished. He was astonished. He, 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 he walked out of church feeling like, it felt like God was kind of speaking to me. Did somebody email him about me? Did somebody tell him? Did my wife email? I get that question all the time. Did my wife email you? 
No, man, your kids did. But <laughs> he, he felt astonished. He, he, the marriage is turning around. You're beginning to find significance. You're beginning to feel a little bit more hopeful. You're, you're grateful to God that there are some things in your life that seem to be going well. And you look up and you're kind of astonished. You're kind of amazed because you knew where you were and you knew the level of pain you were in and you knew the struggle you were facing and, and all the things that were broken in your life. And it, it just seems like there's a little bit of a reprieve at least and things are going a little bit better. You're, you're, you're kind of astonished. All wonderful things. All essential things. But not enough to say that a person knows God and is safe with God. Just because someone believes in a moment and is baptized and is astonished at some things God is doing does not mean that person is saved. But wait, he believed. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, the demons believe. In fact, the demons believe in God more than a lot of people believe in God. They've been around. They, they've seen it all. See, belief is about knowing. Faith is about trusting. They're two very different things. He was baptized. That, that, is an, that is an evidence of salvation. Every single person that gives their life to Jesus, the biblical pattern is then you're baptized. Baptism is not salvation. That happens when you invite Jesus into your life. Baptism is a picture of what's already happened. The old me is gone. The new me with Christ living inside, that's who I am. Baptism is, is going public with our faith. Baptism is an evidence of salvation, but it's not proof of salvation. And then he was astonished. You read over and over in the Gospels, the first four books of what we call the New Testament in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see Jesus engaging with people, often large crowds, and all of the miracles and all of the healings, and people were astonished. But did you know, according to Scripture, most of the crowds that gathered to watch Jesus did not follow Jesus? You can be astonished and amazed and not follow him. All of these things are good, but they're not, they're not proof of a person's salvation. So Simon looks like maybe he's the real deal, and Peter shows up to investigate. And notice in the text, Simon thinks he can just buy the gift of God with money. And in the Greek language in the text, it, it literally, when Peter responds, Peter literally says to him, to hell with your money. It's of no value. You can't accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And Simon told him, you've got to repent because you're wicked. And you need to pray that you will be, if possible, forgiven. And verse 22 tells us that he's full of bitterness, which means his heart is corrupt. And lastly, he's captive to sin. It's another way of saying he's a slave to sin. See, when you invite Jesus into your life, the Spirit of God transforms us from the inside out. And if you invite Jesus into your life, and you say you're a follower of Jesus, but then you don't follow Jesus, and the same stuff you were doing, you still do, and you drag the stuff that you needed for forgiveness for into the day. See, a, a lot of us buy into this easy believism that if I just pray a prayer, I don't have to change jack. I can do whatever I want. I can kind of live my life based on what I want. And when this life's over, I'm good with God. I prayed the prayer. But if inviting God into your life, God... Inviting God, the magnitude of God and who he is, into your life, and he now lives on the inside you, but his power hasn't changed you? Do you have the appearance of without the presence of? Do you wear the label but not live the lifestyle? 
Simon could attach some labels to it. I believed. I baptized. I've been astonished. It is possible to know who Jesus is without knowing Jesus. It, It is possible to look like you know who Jesus is when you don't. It is possible to say you know Jesus when you don't. You know something about Jesus, all of us, especially in this country, most of us, we've at least heard his name. We know he has something to do with Christmas and a little bit to do with Easter. That's very different from having a relationship with Jesus. I met Angie when I was 15 years old, 15 years old. We did not start dating until I was 16 years old. When I was 15, I knew Angie, but I didn't know Angie. It wasn't until I began to build the relationship with her that I really knew her. Authentically knowing Jesus means being changed by him. It means loving him daily, serving him consistently, worshiping him often, loving the church that he loves and giving your life to him. It cracks me up when people say, ah, I don't mind the Jesus thing. I love Jesus. I just don't like church. Did you know the Bible? Let me say, first of all, I understand that. I've... Some of the meanest people I've ever met, I met in church. Some of the most obnoxious people I ever met, I met in church. Some of the most unkind people I met, I I met in church. But I also have to tell you, if I'm honest, some of the greatest people I've ever met, the people who've changed my life, I met in church. I met my bride in church. I met my closest friends in church. But but people that say, man, I just, uh, I don't have a problem with God, but I got a problem with this whole church thing. On the surface, I understand it, I get it, because there's often a lot of church drama, and a lot of churches, there are a lot of politics, and anything that you and I see, in fact, I need to just tell you, as a pastor, I need to apologize, anything that you see in the life of a church that is off-putting, or something that is uncomfortable, or you don't like, or causes you to turn away from God, please don't blame that on God. We, as people, have done an amazing job of taking something that God intended in perfection to be a movement and created it to be an institution where people are more powerful than God. Your problem with the church is not God, it's people. But the Bible says that Jesus loves the church. In fact, the Bible says Jesus loves the church so much he calls it his bride. Now, how do you think you and I would get along if you said, hey man, I like you a lot, but I can't stand your bride? I'll punch you in the throat. I don't even care. Like, you, you think we're going to be tight? You think you're going to be my homie? We're going to hang in the posse? If, if you don't like my bride, you think we're going to be okay? How do you think God feels? We'd say, okay, God, I like you. I just don't like your church. When the Bible says the church is what Jesus died for, and the church is what Jesus is coming back for, and we have not only an opportunity, but a responsibility to make sure as best we can, we're not going to get it right all the time, but as best we can, we are the movement unleashed in the pages of the New Testament as the church as God intended it to be because it's the church that's the hope of the world. When done authentically, when done correctly, when functioning biblically, the church is the hope of the world. Part of the reason we are so jacked up and messed up in our nation is that we're relying on our government to do what the church should be doing. And it was never intended to. Thank you, thank you. We'll grab coffee. That's awesome, one person. It's going to be a good day. Authentically, authentically being changed by Jesus means loving him, serving him, worshiping, loving the church he loves, and giving your life to him. Listen, it's not about praying a prayer for a moment. It's about praying a prayer in a moment that leads to a momentum of living for him and following him because you're loving him and following his teachings. The label means nothing without the life. 
and doing a few good things mean nothing if there's no inner transformation. $450 million for a painting that was a fraud. I can't imagine. You know what's worse? 80 years of a life wearing the right label and going to the right places and thinking some of the right things but being a fraud. Can you imagine? I mean, just think about it for a moment. Can you imagine spending your entire life thinking because when you were younger in a church service somewhere, sitting back here, you, you prayed a prayer at the end, and so you thought, okay, I'm good. And then coming to the end of your life, standing before God one day, which Scripture says we will all do, and God saying, literal text from Scripture, depart from me, get out of here. I never knew you. You might know something about God, but does he know you? Is he actively in your life? So how do I know? How, how, how can I tell the difference between if I'm, if I'm a real follower of Jesus or if I'm living as a fake and didn't even know it? In the text, there are just a few characteristics that come to the surface. If you're authentically a follower of Jesus, you'll have these characteristics in your life, and some more than others, because listen, listen, listen. This is not about perfection. None of us are perfect. We blow it every day. You're not going to get everything right, especially you Giants fans. Impossible. But, but the reality is we blow it every tough year for me to pick on the Giants. I need to find a new team. I'm so sorry. Y'all are sucking pond water in. I'm so sorry but I kind of celebrate it. But <laughs> the reality is, none of us get it right. This is not about perfection, it's about position. Do you have the position in your life where you've invited Jesus to come into your life and you're following his teachings and you're not perfect, but there's a default position in your life where you're becoming more like Jesus month by month, year by year, decade by decade. Let me give you a few characteristics that I see in the text. If you're an authentic follower of Christ, these will be in your life. You have more than good works, you have God's grace. You have more than good works. You have God's grace. Notice verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. If you're more worried about what people think about you than what they think about God, that might be a clue. If you're more worried about how many followers you can acquire versus how many people you can lead to following Jesus, might be a clue. He boasted about himself and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed this man is rightly called the great power of God sometimes we can assign things to God that have nothing to do with God Simon is pretty impressed with himself not only do people call him great he calls himself great notice me I'm somebody special look at what I can do recently a survey was done by American or I'm sorry Arizona Christian University they polled people who said they were Christians and out of thousands of people that responded, it turns out that 60% of people that say they're Christians say that you and I can get to heaven just by being good. 60%. That means, according to the Bible, that almost 60% of Christ followers in America are either misguided or not saved, and certainly biblically ignorant. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we're not saved by our good works. We're saved by God's grace. You can't be good enough. I, I can't be good enough. The reality that we need to embrace and the reality that we need to just confront head on is the truth that heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for forgiven people. Heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for forgiven people. And I might add, the church, it's not for good people. 
It's for broken people. This is not a resort where we come and we relax and kick back thanking God because we're so good. This is a hospital for people that are broken and messed up where God does work of healing every single week. See, that's a big deal because at the end of the day, none of us are truly good. You think you're good because that's your, you're, you're comparing yourself to Jethro next door. You find people, isn't it interesting how when we want to feel better about ourselves, we find people that are worse than ourselves? We compare ourselves to people all the time. The problem is the standard is not the people that are less than you in your mind. In reality, nobody's less than you. Every single person you and I lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. There is no one less important than you. There is no one more important than you. But we categorize people and we try to feel better about ourselves by looking down on people when in reality the Bible teaches our standard. If you want to compare yourself to somebody, if I want to compare myself to somebody, it's Jesus. How, how do you do in that comparison? We all, we all suck pond water in that comparison. Like it, it's over, game over, because we are broken and we are sinful. The scriptures say that we are judged by what we do, and we're also judged by what we don't do that we know we should. We're judged by our thoughts. We're judged by our motives, our desires. And your good and my good will never be enough. And it will never outweigh the grace of God. Heaven is not for good people. It's for forgiven people. By the way, heaven is going to be full of bad people. And I'm grateful because I'm one of them. And by the way, I don't know if anybody's told you lately, so are you. Compared to Jesus, we're all bad. And hell is going to be full of good people that did some good things and believed in a moment without any traction or transformation. Did some religious things like being baptized. We're astonished at some things that God has done and will split hell wide open. There's another characteristic. If you're an authentic follower of Jesus that the Bible speaks of in this passage, you are spirit-filled, not just spiritual. If you ask people today, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, 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 I'm spiritual. Spiritual. It's not what I asked you. I asked you, do you believe in God? Because there are a lot of spirits, and the Bible says many of them are evil. In fact, John encourages us to test the spirits, the Bible says, because there are unclean spirits, and then there's the Holy Spirit. Which are you full of? Simon was spiritual. He was a sorcerer. I mean, there was something that gave him the power to do what he did, but it wasn't the Spirit of God. He wasn't Spirit-filled. It says he was a sorcerer. What, what is that? Like, did he just watch Harry Potter? Pot, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> That's about what I think of it. But did he just watch Harry Potter and he got the little wand and, like, I, I, stop it. What is a sorcerer? It, it, it's a pagan. It, it's witchcraft. He was a warlock or a witch. Verse 11 says people were amazed by him because of his magic. But when Peter showed up, Simon realized, hey, the power that I have does not equal the power that you have. I want some of what you have, and I'll pay for it. Like, whatever I have to do, can, can I just please buy that? See, the goal is not to be spiritual. It's to be spirit-filled with the Holy Spirit. We live in a culture now where the key word is spiritual. Just be spiritual. And people feel good about themselves if they can just say, I'm just spiritual. Well, what spirit is it that, it's fill that is filling you? Because if it's not the Holy Spirit, you're in trouble, Jack. Like, you've got to try to discern in your life. Jesus said you will receive power. Now, now think about who Jesus is. If Jesus says something's power, it's power. Like, you tell me you got a new car with a certain engine, you say it's got power. You, you know what I hear when you talk to me about anything mechanical with cars? 
I'm Charlie Brown in class. Wah, 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 wah. I understand nothing about it. You can tell me my car needs a pacemaker. Okay, what's it cost? I, like I, I had a mechanical bypass very early in life. I know nothing about it whatsoever. But, but think about it. If Jesus calls something power, that's pretty freaking powerful if Jesus is going to use the word. And he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you want to know true power, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when you have the power to see prayers answered. You have the power to share your faith in a loving way that's not obnoxious. You have the power to overcome sin and temptation. You have the power to witness miracles take place like restored marriages and kids finding purpose. You have the power to be made new. You have the power to be bold and strong and courageous. It's the power of the Spirit of God in us who can always do more than we could ever do. Make sure if you're chasing power, you're looking in the right place. True power, ultimate power, everlasting power is only found in God through a relationship with Jesus. Jesus actually said he had, he had the audacity to say the only way to come through the Father is through me. Jesus said, I'm the only way. It doesn't matter what else you believe. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't even matter if there's a little bit of power there. He said he is the only way. Now, if Jesus is not the only way to know God in a personal way, if Jesus is not the only way to have our sins forgiven, if Jesus is not the only way to make sure we've got a home in heaven after this life, then he's a liar. And we're all wasting our time. There's not just a little bit of things I can take here and there from Jesus. Don't, don't ever follow somebody it's a liar. But if he's telling the truth, and obviously I believe he is, and history has revealed that he is, and future history will absolutely put it in bold, underlined, highlight, exclamation point that he is, then we have to determine what have I done with Jesus. No, number three, you're an authentic follower of Jesus. If you didn't just make a decision, you became a disciple. Huge difference. A lot of people make decisions that don't change their lives in any way. But making a decision that leads you to becoming a disciple is entirely different. Making a decision is an event. Becoming a disciple is a lifelong journey. The, the word disciple means follower. It means, it means student. It means learner. And a lot of us have taught, been taught if you want to become a Christian, you just pray a prayer and you're good. The prayer I talked about. I just want to add a little Jesus to my life. That's what Simon wanted. He's a sorcerer. He's got power. He can do some stuff. But man, I want that next level power. I want to add that to my bag of tricks. I want to have that in my repertoire. I want to be able to use that. But here's the reality. If adding Jesus to your life does not lead to subtracting some things from your life, I'm not sure you added Jesus. There's supposed to be a transformation that happens inside. And Jesus is not something you just bring into your life as a little add-on, a little something-something where you can feel like I'm good with God and I'm going to heaven when all this is over. Jesus said, actually, without repentance, there's no salvation. There must be a turning around inside my life. It, it, it's a decision that we make where we keep deciding day by day with God's help that I'm going to follow Jesus. That word repentance, it's a biblical word. It literally means, it's a military term in the language, it literally means an about face. It, it means I'm living my life in a way where I'm heading in a direction where I'm deciding I'm in charge, I do what I want, I might feel bad about it, but, but I'm making my own decisions, and then I come to a place where I recognize how desperately I need God in my life. And I invite him to come into my life, and I say, God, I, I want you to change me. I want you to be my Lord. Now, Lord literally means master or boss. 
So I turn my life, and now I'm going to follow him because he's in charge. I'm no longer in charge. Without repentance, the Bible says there's no salvation. Now, repentance is not something you can do. It's not something I can do. It takes the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. It's a supernatural transaction that takes place when I pray that prayer and I invite him to come into my life, but it requires an openness and a willingness on my part to say, okay, God, change me. And the reason sometimes we hesitate, we don't like all the changes God brings. Like, like the person that lives down your street that's just an idiot, I mean, let's just be honest. You know they are. God, know, God even knows they are. God knows they're an idiot. You've got to now forgive. You've got to be kind when they're unkind. You've got to look from a different perspective and recognize people that act like jackasses, biblical word, King James, people that act like that, they act like that because somewhere in life they were deeply wounded. If we just brought a little bit of a different perspective to how we engage and view people, the world would be a whole lot better place. We view people in the moment and we classify them and categorize them and label them and mark them off as somebody that we don't want anything to do with, not recognizing there's a journey that got them there and a lot of people have hurt them. If you know Jesus, why don't you help them? Why don't you love them, pray for them, show them what kindness looks like because what is unexpected to a jerk is somebody responding in kindness because they know that's not natural. It takes something more than me. Simon just wanted to add Jesus. We know because when he saw Peter laying his hands on people and they received the Holy Spirit, he said, man, I, I need some of that to the point that he tries to, to buy it, to see what he can incorporate into his sorcery. He, he made a decision in the moment, but he wasn't a disciple, and there's a difference. And the same is true for us today. Do you know that just because a person goes to church, it doesn't mean they're a Christian? You can stand in your garage five days in a row and you won't become an automobile. Just because someone's in church, it doesn't mean they're a Christian. That means it is possible to be in church and not be in Christ. Stop judging God by people you see that go to church because not everybody's authentic. And you can spend your entire life in church. You can be born in church. You can get baptized in church. You can get married in church. You can serve in the church. You can have a funeral in church. And when they close your casket, you can wake up in hell. It has nothing to do with that being foundational. It is a byproduct. If you're authentically a follower of Jesus, you're going to love the church because Jesus loves the church. But if all you got is the church and you don't have Jesus, you're in trouble. Hell is going to be full of religious people. Not my words, God's. Ah, you're talking about hell? Are you doing that because it's Halloween weekend? No, I'm talking about hell because Jesus did. I, like, I'm, I'm not excited about it. I don't want anybody to go there. That's, that's why C3 exists. I just don't understand how loving God could send somebody to hell. He doesn't. We send ourselves to hell when we don't accept the free gift that he offers. He's done everything necessary for us to know him in a personal way. God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to change our lives. But somebody that rejects that over and over again, God finally says, okay, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People send themselves to hell. God's done everything necessary. I just don't know if I buy it all. How cruel would God have to be to allow his only son to be murdered on a cross if there was a different way you could get to heaven? What kind of God would allow his own son to be murdered if you and I could just be good enough? If we could just make sure our good outweighs our bad? No, it's, 
the only way. So I need to ask you a question. Because when I was eight years old, I made a decision in a church service that did not change my life in any way. I prayed a prayer in a church service inviting Jesus to come into my life, but I did not give my life to him. I was baptized, but there was no spiritual traction. I just got wet. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I authentically gave my life, surrendered my life to Jesus. So I need to ask you a question. Are, are you banking your entire eternity on a decision you made when you were younger instead of daily, consistently following Jesus? When it comes to Jesus, are you a fan who made a decision or a follower who's living your life for him. When it comes to Jesus, are you a fan or a follower? Fans cheer for the good stuff. Fans want the forgiveness. Give me the blessing. I want the merch. Fans, oh, I, I want everything that's a benefit. I don't want to do anything that's hard, and I'll do nothing I disagree with, and I will not even show up for anything that's inconvenient or painful. That's a fan. Are you a fan or a follower? I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus even when I don't understand. I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. I'm going to follow what Jesus says. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can. It's going to take the Spirit of God in me because I'm not enough to do it myself to, to forgive when everything in me wants to react and, and bring my own kind of vengeance. I, I'm going to do everything I can to follow Jesus. Are you a fan or a follower? Number four, you have more remorse. You have more than remorse. You have repentance. If you're authentically a follower of Jesus, it's more than I'm sorry, God. You have repentance. Peter comes strong at Simon. He rebukes him. And, and notice Simon's response. Verse 22. Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon doesn't repent. He just asks for prayer. That's all he does. He, he doesn't repent. He just asks for prayer. He, he doesn't take ownership of his actions or responsibility for his soul. Nobody can come to Jesus for you. No matter how badly I want you to know God in a personal way, no matter how much I want God to bless and change your life, no matter how much I want you to experience the freedom that's found in a relationship with Jesus and to be able to live guilt-free and to live knowing God in a daily, intimate, personal connection, no matter how badly I want that for you, I can't make it happen. Only you can. You're the only person that can make that happen in your life. The responsibility... And the opportunity is yours and yours alone. Simon isn't repentant. He's just remorseful. How do we know that? We know from church history. Outside the Bible, there are other writings that are not in the Bible from this time period, the first and the second century. Journals from early church fathers that are not a part of Scripture that actually talk about Simon the sorcerer, whose given name was Simon Magus, which means Simon the Great. Clement of Alexandria writes about him and says that after this confrontation we've just read today, after this confrontation, Simon splits the church in Samaria and takes other Christians away with him and starts a cult called Gnosticism that becomes the first counterfeit church in the history of Christianity. We know he wasn't repentant because in the end nothing changed. He, he was sorry, but he wasn't saved. He wanted something from God but was unwilling to give anything to God. A lot of people come to Jesus in a moment of difficulty because they think Christianity will help them feel better. 
Christianity is not about feeling better. It's about following Jesus. Because, yeah, you're going to feel better because he forgives your sins. He'll give you salvation. You'll find joy that you never knew before. But it's not about feeling better or even being better. It's about following Jesus. Jesus did not die to make you a better version of you. Jesus did not die to just improve a few things in your life and mine. Jesus did not die to make us better. He died to make us new. He's not just improving the areas that we fall short. He offers to make us new. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Did you just feel bad about it or did you change? They're two very different things. Remorse and repentance are not the same. Remorse brings guilt. Repentance brings grace. It's the grace of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God that saves us, that heals us, that transforms us. When we repent, we don't live in guilt, we live in grace. Remorse also brings condemnation and repentance brings conviction. Condemnation is where you're continually beating yourself up over things you've done in the past. But conviction is the Spirit of God speaking to you saying, you need to ask for forgiveness for this. And when we do, we're then able to live in freedom and strength as we desire to become a new person and we watch God do that work in us. If there's something, by the way, sidebar, if you're a follower of Jesus and there's something that haunts you from your past and you've asked God to forgive you, that is not the Spirit of God trying to convict you. That is the enemy trying to discourage you. Because the Bible says that God has forgiven everything in your life when you invite him into your life. You don't have to feel guilty about that anymore. It is a part of your story. Learn from it and let it cause you to be compassionate to other people who've been through difficult things also. Remorse brings condemnation. Repentance brings conviction. Remorse brings judging. Repentance brings joy. You know what I've noticed? People that have a lot of remorse in their life about their life often begin to judge other people in an attempt to feel better. You compare yourself with other people. And when you do good, you feel, you feel proud. When you do wrong, you become frustrated or hopeless. But repentance brings joy. Because our God is so loving. As a perfect, loving Father, the God who invites us to call Him Father, He gives us a first chance, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, the Bible says he is long-suffering, he is patient, he is kind. And you can rejoice because you've been saved. You know God, he did everything necessary, he loves you that much. And you remember day by day that God's goodness outweighs your badness and mine. Remorse brings harm, repentance brings healing. Some of you grew up in religiously abusive churches. And all they ever did was make you feel horrible and feel like you're a terrible person and you're never going to measure up. You could never do anything right. It's like the Bible was an arrow and the sermon was a bow and the pastor would just pull back and let loose and make sure you felt horrible about yourself every moment of every day. No true repentance this is why we are the way we are at C3. True repentance brings incredible healing because it's an opportunity to start over. We talk about the bad stuff. We talk about the difficult stuff in life. We talk about the fact that we blow it, but not because we're excited about that. We're excited about a God who makes all of that new, 
a God who has the ability to heal in a supernatural way, a God has, who has the ability to restart and repurpose our lives in a way that is beneficial and healing not only to us but to the people we love the most. There is some bad news, but the good news is way more profound. And the good news, by the way, wouldn't feel and be in actuality nearly as good if we didn't acknowledge the bad news. So it starts with bad news, but it goes to really, really good news. Remorse brings death and repentance brings life. If you continually live a life of remorse, you'll become bitter and jaded. You grow resentful, even toward God and toward the people who love you the most. If you live in remorse constantly and continually, it becomes a pattern in your life. And you'll come to the place where you push away the very things that could bring you closer to Jesus, just like Simon Magus did. Just like many people in our world are doing. But instead, repentance... God, I've been headed my own way. I want you to invade my life, transform me from the inside out, forgive my sin, and through the power of your spirit, I can't do it on my own. I need you. I want to turn and I want to follow your direction and I want to follow your way and I want there to be an evidence in my life of your power and your presence in my life, not for me but for your glory. God, use my life as a story. Help me to see every single person the way you see people. Help me to view people through your eyes and love them and minister to them. Give them the benefit of the doubt and learn to believe the best. God, do that in my life because I can't do it myself. Repentance. It brings life because it leads to a new life with a new heart, a new nature, a new identity, a new destiny, a new eternity. The gospel, Bible word that means good news, the gospel isn't that God makes bad people good. It's that it, he makes dead people alive. Uh, the gospel is not that Jesus makes us better. It's that Jesus makes us whole. This is not about behavior modification. This is about transformation from the inside out where we become different because of the Spirit of God in our lives. So the way that you think, the way that you see the world, the way you love your wife or your husband, the way you raise your kids, the way you approach your future, the way you spend your time and your money, the way you serve your church and your community, the way you share your faith, it, you aren't better, you're different. That's the point of repentance. Let me, let me give you one last one. You have more than lip service, you have life change. Did Simon's life change? Not at all. He believed, he was baptized, he was amazed. Nothing about his life changed. He was the same person at the end of the story as he was in the beginning. He had lip service, but no life change. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. In every single church, there will be those who are authentic and those who are counterfeit. There will be those with saving faith and those with false faith. There will be real Christians and fake Christians. It was true for the church in Acts. It's true for C3 Church. It's true for every church. But here's what I don't want any of us to do. The last thing we should ever do, the most unbiblical thing we could ever do, is take what we've looked at, it, at today and weaponize it against other people. Don't, don't go to your community group and start calling me, you're a fake Christian. Don't look on your street, look at those fake Christians. They say they go to so-and-so church. That, that's the last thing we need to do. Don't go to your work and start pointing the finger at other people. Instead, here's what we've got to realize. Do you remember early on Paul to the church in Corinth? Did, did he say, hey, examine all the people around you? 
He said, examine yourself. In the Greek, maybe it's yourself. But examine yourself. Begin to learn that the Word of God is not a magnifying glass for you to view the inadequacies in other people's lives, stories that you know nothing about, and layers that you're completely ignorant to, where you pick on other people and you pick out whether you think they're right or wrong with God. Listen, your opinion doesn't matter. You don't get a vote. The Bible is not a magnifying glass. It is a mirror. Examine yourself, where I'm to look into my own life and my unkind and my forgiving. Do I serve God? Does my life match my words? Am I authentically a follower of Jesus? So, so how do I know? Like, at, at the end of the day, how do I break this all down? How do I know for sure? Okay, I've looked at the characteristics, and some I have, some I don't. Some I at the end of the day, how do I know I am authentic, an authentic follower of Jesus? I am okay with God. I know God. When this life's over, I've got heaven. I'm good. I'm locked and loaded. I'm good. How do I know? The Bible word is sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Sanctification is very different than I prayed a prayer and nothing changed. I prayed a prayer and there are areas that I know are sin, I know would be displeasing to God, and that keeps happening in my life. Now, we're all going to sin because none of us are perfect. Here's the difference. Somebody that doesn't know Jesus will leap into sin and love it. A Christ follower, because we're not perfect, will lapse into sin and loathe it. There's a different approach when it comes to sin in our lives. And sanctification is, hey, it wasn't just a prayer and then nothing happened, but you look back at your life and you're not where you want to be or need to be, but you're certainly not where you were. Little by little, you're becoming more like Jesus. Not behavior modification where we change things on the outside, but on the inside, I'm starting to think differently. Man, God, God's changing some things in my life because I'm applying his word to my life. I'm following his teaching. And, and, and over time, I'm, my, my view of people is changing. My, my view of my circumstances, I'm, I'm finding hope where it was hopeless. I used to hate my job, and nothing there has changed, and there are some real challenges, and it, it's not something I'm thrilled about, but there's a shift that's taken place because now I'm starting to view it as a mission field where I can represent Jesus and love hurting people. There's a change that happens. Sanctification is that process of growth, and it's not instantaneous. Little by little, there's growth that takes place just like in our physical nature we grow gradually and slowly and you look up and all of a sudden your little child has moved from crawling to walking and then you're going to blink your eyes and they're going to graduate you're going to blink your eyes they're going to get married you're going to blink your eyes they're going to have kids and you're going to be old and it, it, it doesn't just happen in a moment but it may feel like it but there's a process sanctification is like that day by day as i follow jesus i blow it a lot but there's the grace and the forgiveness of god where he picks me back up, and I continue to step and take the next step and the next step that he shows me, and the default position of my life is trying the best I can to follow the teachings of Scripture, and some of them I wrestle with, and some of them I don't like, and some of them I don't want to do, but I lean into my faith instead of my feelings, and I say, okay, God loves me, and this is what he says. He's always been right. I'm going to do what God says, and as I act on what Scripture teaches, I begin to change from the inside, and my mind and my thought patterns and my thinking begin to agree more with God than with me. It's sanctification that happens in our lives. It's the process of repentance, the process of life change, the process that God sends every single authentic believer through. It's sanctification. And sanctification is proof of our salvation. Would you pray with me this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed, are you a fan or a follower?
Did you make a decision? Or are you a disciple? Is sanctification present in your life? If not, today is your day. Before the beginning of time, God knew this day would take place. He knew that you would be here. It's not important that I'm here. He knew what his word would say to your heart and what his spirit would do with his word in your heart and life. And for some of you, you might say, man, I'm, I'm just not sure. I hear all that, I'm just not sure. I want to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer that brings certainty today because when you pray this prayer, you pray it with this perspective. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer where you invite God to come into your life if you're unsure or if you know you've never done that. And you're going to ask Jesus to forgive your sin. But you're going to pray it with the foundation and the expectation that this is not a prayer that just happens in a moment. This is a prayer that I'm going to mean with everything in me and I'm going to live this prayer tomorrow and the next day and the next. This is a prayer that is going to create a momentum in my life of following Jesus. And I'm not always going to get it right. But day by day, I'm going to follow him. This is not about just right now and making sure I go to heaven one day. This is about the rest of my life with Jesus being my Lord and my Savior. If you know deep inside, that's the step you need to take. And I, I can't think of one reason to wait, and I can't think of a better day than today. I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says Jesus knows even our thoughts. You just pray, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. And help me to live my faith and live for you day by day. Thank you for loving me. As best I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.